We started culturally speaking to indulge our curiosity about the way others live and a desire to inspire conversations about how we have far more in common than we realise. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode. Janice, how are you? Good. I think I'm quite, I'm very looking forward to hearing today's guest's story, just because you know the topic itself is close to my heart in a different way. Completely. And I think, I think I'm right in saying we've never spoken to a guest with a story, anything close to this. Mm. I certainly don't think we've come across anyone, even when we've been looking for Mm-hmm. you know potential guests um that might be a fit for the podcast um i don't want to spoil too much but i think we can at least say um today's guest and i don't use this word lightly but you know has experience of being in a cult mm-hmm. uh, you know i think this word cult is so interesting to me yeah because I, I sometimes i think it's banded around quite a lot but I I do fully believe um you know what we're about to hear really is one and I say that because um for people that may or may not have heard of gothardism um a I mean whether we call it a cultural community is (laughs) debatable but Mm. there is an organization um in the United States based on the teachings of a pastor Bill Gothard hence Mm -hmm gothardism but my knowledge of it and I thought it was quite well known and I think when I spoke to you about it I didn't you'd heard of necessarily this one mm-hmm. but I think I'd heard of it through as always pop culture um there was a family that became almost infamous I guess um on reality tv in America they were called or they are I mean they still are around the Duggars mm-hmm. Um, 19 kids and counting and I have to give a shout out to my friend Millie from uni she's the one who first turned me on to the phenomena of this family um, I didn't understand it honestly like I was like so wait they're just famous because there's you know 19 children in their family but actually then you start to watch it and the way that they live um, and so yeah it was quite eye-opening because I didn't really understand the ins and outs if I'm being honest I mean you, I'd heard of religious cults before mm. but it's quite different seeing it like on your screen as a way of life I think that's just it I think the concept of cult you know of course we're gonna hear today's guest Rebecca tell us her story and her experiences but the term itself again it's one of those things that have become popularized or romanticized I think by modern pop culture so a cult I'm just reading off of what I found on Google now, right? But a cult is a social association where they subscribe to an often eccentric philosophy, right? This could be with religious background or quite often religion. Uh, Sometimes you get doomsday cults, which which are fascinating. Um, But, you know, over the last couple of years when we've all had a lot more time at home with Netflix on our laps, there have been this rise of documentaries about cults. You know, you've got the yoga guru one. You've got the wild, I think it's called Wild Wild Country. And then a, it's, it's a, 
watch, watch it. Well, watch well, it. Okay. Um, and then you've also got um, things like Scientology, you know, which people know about it. It's out in the open, but there's a lot of mystery around it. But this is my point of, is it a cult? Is it religion? Is it mm. a community? Because that definition you gave of a cult, mm. it doesn't actually say that there's anything harmful. And when I think cult, I automatically think like it's limiting someone's free will. Mm-hmm. It's preventing somebody from living, you know, what we would consider a full, healthy, normal life, able mm-hmm. to make their own choices. But actually that definition just says, you believe in eccentric beliefs. It- well, I read this article, right? And it says, cult is a way of saying you lot are weirdos. Right? Because if you want to talk about things that have a cult following, suddenly <laughs> it doesn't sound as negative. But that gives it almost like a cachet, almost. Do you know mm. when you say, oh, like, this perfume or this exercise class or not to name any names hashtag lululemon um (laughs) peloton that's very topical for me because Mm. i I know you don't watch sex in the city or like the the news i haven't seen it yet i did say we should watch it together i know but i think it breaks my heart a little bit but everyone who's watched that will know the peloton joke you know all of these things that people have a shared belief over Mm. Um, Lush is another great one. I read an article mm-hmm. recently, um, why Lush is a cult by a former employee. <laughs> and I, you know, this is my point about the, the term cult being banded around. Um, but yeah, I'm really interested to hear Rebecca's kind of perspective as well, because the juxtaposition of being in one versus coming out of one and then life after so there's a again a netflix series that i was telling you about that i watched um my unorthodox life where again and again it's centered on religion but they don't use the word cult actually because it is just a very ultra orthodox community Mm -hmm. um but a lot of the things that she explains you know that she didn't realize when she was living in that community versus when she emerged from it she was like I know you love using the, like, I was this many days old when I found out, like, and she had a lot of those kind of moments. Um, So, yeah, I think there's a difference as well, I think, between growing up in one, being surrounded by one, versus perhaps your beliefs change later in life. Yeah, and, I mean, with I can talk about cults for, like, five hours, I think, because the whole psychology aspect of it is just so fascinating to me number one i think we've talked about this before right how people actually in some places i think it is quite easy to join a cult and to just kind of wholly believe in that you know depending on your access to information or what your circumstances might be but what about the people who become cult leaders like do they set out like this is my five-year plan i want to become a cult leader and modern pop culture will portray these people as usually shaggy head, but super, you know, like good looking in that specific way and have an air of authority about them. And I always tell people, right, if I join this group of people 
starts out nice and everything and then suddenly they say you can only wear white dresses and you need to give me all your money i'm leaving right like the whole thing is just so fascinating to me that you can have one person who can essentially command the masses in a kind of non-mainstream social construct it's interesting you touched on the the one person controlling it because Mm. Obviously, you know, I read history and cult of personality in leaders mm-hmm. is really interesting, right? And how they yeah. engineer a cult of personality to make people, like you say, blindly follow mm. in their vision. It's it's quite, um, it, it takes quite a strategy. It doesn't well, just happen. Definitely cutting off external access, right? I I think that's a key thing. But if you look at what's happening around the world now, right, we want to talk about COVID or other public problems that governments have tried for decades to just convince people of a country that a certain statement is true. Never succeeded, actually, right? But then you've got someone who could convince a bunch of people that the world is going to end in 312 days, you know, or like Christ is coming in 20 months. And I'm like, how do you go from A to B? You know, that leap, it's literally a leap of faith in the mind, right? To say, well, I have no proof, but I believe in this dude. So whatever he says is true. And then a follow-up question to that is, if this were a doomsday cult, when that day comes and it didn't end what happens then yeah like do the people just believe that oh we got the year wrong or what or do they just think like this is bs i'm walking out you know i mean i think the doomsday ones are quite specific right because there is like it can be proven the other ones i don't know how you would prove or disprove it right because it is about that leap of faith of there's no way of validating the like if it's a religious one like i guess the consequences would be what would happen to you and there's no way of knowing that right there's no way of foretelling like will you be good and go to heaven will you be well if we're being controversial then isn't that all religions you can't really prove what happens no but but that's why like I think it's you can get caught up in the belief of it. Mm. The ones where it's not tied to religion and it's yeah, something, those are the ones I struggle with more <laughs> because. But I also think we all want something to believe, and we've talked about this about the fact that people are leading lives without intention and purpose, and therefore mm. having something to stick. You know, your proverbial white flag and wave. If- if I were to start a cult, it would just be around just living your best life, you know? Live your best life. Love it. That would be our cult, to be fair. Like, never <laughs> never have a bad meal. Never. No. That's not allowed. But here's the thing. If you always ate well, would you still appreciate good food? Would your taste buds become, like, I don't know, lazy? <laughs> but that would be part of the ritual, wouldn't it be? Like, in the cult. Like, once a week, there's something rubbish. And you have to identify them. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. This is going to be a popular cult, I think. I mean, it's going to be a morbidly obese cult. 
not really. I think if you eat the right foods, like if you eat good food. I know, but do you know when you want good food that's not good for you? That's like... <laughs> I mean, most cults seem to involve working in a farm. So We're going to work in a commune. I don't know. I can't I really think... see you and your like gel nails at the, at the commune, I'm just saying. And my waist length hair, I don't think that's going to survive that. No, I think you'd have to like wrap it up and like, oh, anyway, the fashion, this is the thing, the fashion. <laughs> I know. Would not be fabby at the commune. Okay. Anyway, enough about the commune. Let's hear from Rebecca and her story. So my name's Rebecca Lemke. I am a multi-genre hybrid author. I used to podcast. I was in a documentary and I did live radio. And now I write fiction and homeschool my son. But I grew up in a cult and a lot of people find that really interesting. And especially with Josh Duggar now being in the news and his family being in the news, a lot of people have questions about what that actually looks like and what it's like to get out of something like that. So a lot of people that write memoirs and that write about purity culture are in it for the money. They're in it for the academic books and the book deals and um, the exposure and the fame and all of that different stuff. And that was never my intention when I wrote The Scarlet Virgins. I wrote The Scarlet Virgins when I was working for an outlet online. Um, I had told my editor a little bit about my background. She had also escaped from um, a Muslim um, cult, and she and I got along really well. <laughs> and we had been through a lot of the same experiences with completely different faith backgrounds, and she pestered me. I was 20 at the time. She's like, you need to write a memoir. And I was like, I can't do that. I'm 20. The only person that writes a memoir at 20 is a narcissist. But she pestered me um, long enough to where I wrote the first chapter. Um, and that book never actually came out. The original book that was the memoir is not actually out. Um, the Scarlet Virgins is a condensed version of the memoir um, that primarily focuses on purity culture and spiritual abuse. But that was how it started with... Um, me writing some of my experiences as articles and then my editors being like, um, you know what? We need more of this. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay. So I wrote it all. Um, it's a novella, so it's 26,000 words. And I wrote it for the few people that I was still in contact with um, from having grown up in the cult. I actually don't know if any of them have read it. Um, but that was who I wrote it for because I still felt like after everything I had done, it still wasn't enough. I hadn't addressed anything spiritually. I had only addressed physical and mental health. And I knew that it would probably never do anything. Um, it's really tiny, self-published, you know. Um, and then I did a little bit of a podcast along with it. It was supposed to be like six to 12 episodes originally because I wanted, if anybody did stumble across it, to be able to hear my voice because when you're talking about religion and politics and things like that, it's so easy to get heated and get caught up in everything and, you know, be accusatory of the person you're listening to. And I wanted to make sure that people knew that I was actually sincere and that I was genuinely worried about it and that I wasn't, you know, just trying to make money or anything like that. 
And so I put out a podcast with it. And within um, a week, I was invited on um, live radio in Texas. And um, I went on there to be in uh, national radio. I was syndicated with the podcast. It ran 50 episodes um, after it was all said and done. Um, I was syndicated in two different places with that podcast. And um, it just kind of took on a life of its own. But originally, it was just for a few people that I had grown up with. And after it took off, I had so many people messaging me because I share my story. I don't like share to argue with people or share to have some kind of academic thing. I'm just a firsthand um, witness, basically. <laughs> That's all I am. And there's kind of a shortage of that. There's kind of a shortage of just firsthand witnesses that are firsthand witnesses for the sake of it, for the sake of other people who are like them. And for me, getting away from a religious cult and then staying religious is super unusual. Um, and there wasn't any resources for someone like me when I came out of it, um, except for Recovering Grace. Recovering Grace is IBLP survivors, and they have been amazing and they were amazing at the time, but they didn't quite have anything like what I knew I needed to do. And so I wrote the Scarlet Virgins um, on that basis, on the basis of, you know, what I would say to my 16-year-old self who was trying to leave. Um, I had read Hillary McFarland's Quivering Daughters, which is now out of print. I'm very sad about it, but you can find some on eBay um, on a good day. And um, that had been the book that my husband gave to me when I was 15 and a half. And I was just starting my journey of recovery with my eating disorder. And she had done a bunch of firsthand experiences, anonymized all of them so that nobody was in danger and published it as a self-published book. And it had like absolutely changed my life. We share it with everyone. Um, we ran out of copies to share. And so I just wanted something like that for the people in my life who had gone through the specific things that I had. Um, and now, you know, even though I don't do very much with it, I still do get people commenting and and contacting me and I I get people from all walks of life I get people who are agnostic who are atheists who are still Christian but questioning and then you know just still Christian and I help all of them because so many of the resources that I tried to get to and use refused to help me because I was still Christian and so I try to make sure that everybody has what they need to be physically mentally emotionally and spiritually healthy So a lot of people, when they think of cults, they think of a compound. People aren't allowed to leave it. Everything is an ecosystem within that compound. They have all of their food, all of their water, animals, um, their teachings, and um, the kids all together being homeschooled. And sometimes like a sister-wife situation, things like that. We see a lot of that on TV. And that's the idea that people have of cults. But there are some cults that don't look like that. A lot of Hollywood has kind of glamorized that type of a cult, um, when in reality, it looks a little bit different for every person. So the cult that I grew up in was a Gothardism cult, and it was spread out over miles and miles in Oklahoma. And there was multiple different smaller groups that were involved in it. And the IBLP cult is actually from up north. And uh, you've never been anywhere near the head headquarters of IBLP. Um, but they do have a physical location and several physical locations where they have um, things happening. And for us, 
it looked more like having their teachings through written things that they had produced and ideas that they had. So it was very spread out and there was different groups that would meet and things like that. And they all kind of knew each other or shared members. And we were allowed to go home. There was no place that all of us lived. We went to our own houses at the end of the day. And the overarching thing really was control and it was psychological control more than it was a physical restraining in a given area. So there was things that um, just on a daily basis looked like you were not allowed to show any skin. You were not allowed to talk to the opposite sex. Um, You were not allowed to go and do things that normal children would be able to do. So no dating, you had to court um, and you were only allowed to court within the parameters of what your father set. Um, And oftentimes what you would have is a girl was not allowed to leave her childhood home until she was married. And if she never got married, she was never allowed to leave. She was basically a second wife that did the cooking and the cleaning and the childcare and all of that in addition to what her mother did. And oftentimes you would see quiverfuls where you have a very large family and the oldest girls are basically they've already lived through a marriage by the time they actually get married um both in the emotional labor and in sometimes an emotional incest situation where the dad uses them in that way and you also have physical incest that happens as well And then in a more peer context, what you have is segregation. So the um, young boys and girls are not allowed to talk to each other in any kind of private conversation, sometimes not at all. And you could get in trouble for that. You can get punished for that. Um, And in terms of the dress code and the modesty rules and things like that, you um, were kind of things changed over the years, but you were basically expected to be every inch covered all of the time. And if anything did happen to you, God forbid, uh, it would be your fault. Um, And it does not matter if you are prepubescent. It does not matter if you were doing everything right. Um, It does not matter if you cried out. um, You didn't cry out loud enough, apparently. um, Things like that. So you have this very strict controlling religious environment where Everything is your fault regardless of what you do and your body's not yours and that led to a lot of mental health problems and physical health problems including anorexia, self-harm, addictions, alcoholism, things like that. So the way that we got involved with the cult was kind of just sort of sliding into it. It was not, oh, we're going to go join a cult. Um, My parents had our best interests at heart and were trying to keep us out of the public school system, which was not equipped to help us with our family history of learning disabilities and reading disabilities. And so we were at very high risk for falling behind because the teachers in our location were not trained and not able to take on the potential problems that we would have. So Before all of this started, we were in a public school. Um, We regularly saw other kids our age and family and all of that. And then um, we were pulled out at the end of kindergarten and told that we were going to be homeschooled. And that was how it started. Um, Before that, I think we had fairly regular lives. Um, And even to some degree after that, It, it really, when it comes to these groups and things, 
the loudest voice is the one that gets all the control and all of the power. And so you would have people coming in that were narcissists, that were pedophiles, that were things like that, and immediately being able to rise up the rank and grab the power that they needed to be able to do what they wanted. A lot of people don't realize how difficult it is to get out of cults. And it's something that changes from cult to cult and person to person. Most of the time, if you leave a cult, you are shunned. You're not allowed to talk to people inside anymore. You have zero contact with them. Um, Oftentimes that includes family members. Um, And so for me, I ended up leaving when I was 16. Um, And the impetus behind me leaving was fairly severe. I had some friends that were having such mental health problems and physical health problems that their lives were in danger. And there was zero help available. Oftentimes um, in cults like that, people will believe that doctors are evil um, and especially mental health professionals. So there was no medical help available. And the only way to get medical help was to leave and bring in authorities, um, which I did. So I was 16, and um, when I left, I went to a school counselor on campus and told him what was happening. He made some appropriate phone calls, and then from there, I um, got my own counselor, got my own doctor involved because I had a very severe eating disorder. I was 82 pounds at the time, and um, that was a long time ago. I was very emaciated, and I was dying, and so... I basically, I was already suffering, but I found out the severity of the suffering of people around me. And I went to somebody who could do something about it. And they told me they did not care and that people were just going to have to age out. And I told them, you don't get to call yourself any kind of honorific name. I am going to take care of everyone now. And you can take a long walk. And I left. And like I said, I brought in mental health professionals. I got authorities involved um, and tried to do everything I could to make sure that nobody died, basically. So leaving a cult that is not a compound is kind of interesting because technically you can go whenever you want. You can do whatever you want. Uh, you'll be frowned upon. You'll be shunned. But you you can technically leave, um, which is part of how when you do leave, people say, well, I was never keeping you here. Um, but they were keeping your money and they were keeping your education and your paperwork and all of this other stuff, um, that becomes a real issue for a lot of homeschoolers that were in their own IBLP cults is your birth certificates and your social security cards and your driver's history and license and your like diplomas and things like that will all be held up. It's actually called identity of use. Um, and that is something that they will do to try to keep you there, even though you can physically walk away. Um, so for me, I got all of my papers over the course of like a week. Um, I knew that I was leaving. 
I had prepared money and a bag of clothing and I had a car or a truck actually that was paid off and I had everything ready. I was just waiting for the right opportunity that I would have enough time to get the people that I needed to get involved, involved to the degree that I needed them to be involved before somebody showed up. And so I went to somebody that could help and then they helped me get authorities involved from there. And then shortly after, I w- was able to get a pediatric appointment um, where they were to help. They were able to help further. So for me, I physically did have to basically leave and go get other people involved. And in order to do that, I had to physically leave in in some ways um, because you can't. There's there's things that those parents will put in phones um, and like churches and things like that, depending on who's bought the phone that will track everything that's going on on the computer, on the phone, all that stuff. So you have to get like a university computer to be able to find who you need, even need to call in the first place, borrow somebody's phone at school, you know, all these different things that make it a lot more complicated than just picking up the phone and saying, Hey, I need an appointment. Um, Or, Hey, I need to report that this happened. And so there's a lot of logistics that go into trying to leave when you are being psychologically kept somewhere rather than physically kept somewhere. Um, But yeah, I I basically had to plan in advance and do a lot of different things to make sure that if I did leave, I would not have to come back until things were safe. Um, Because there have been a lot of people who have tried to escape cults and then been brought back because they didn't have any papers. They couldn't prove who they were. They couldn't prove that they'd even been born in the United States. And they were facing potential deportation just because they had zero way to prove anything. The first thing I did when I left was I went to my grandma, who I had not had much contact with. <laughs> and we just sat ha- sat down and had a conversation, which was amazing. And she's my best friend now. Um, I visit her all of the time. And I bought some clothes. She took me on a shopping trip um, with my, my step-grandpa gave me money and took me to buy clothes that um, were not hand-me-downs. <laughs> They were not my best friend's brother's hand-me-downs. And so I had clothes that I that were actually mine, um, which was incredible. And I could pick out whatever I wanted. So I had this um, like sweater that had cut out holes on the top. Um, very scandalous. <laughs> and um, over the course of like the next year or two, um, I bought several things like that. But it wasn't actually scandalous, but it sure felt scandalous. <laughs> So some people I knew actually grew up without color TVs. They were not allowed to watch color TV. They were only allowed to watch black and white if they were allowed to watch TV at all. So a lot of people that I grew up with had never seen like a normal TV or computer screen and they were not allowed to have internet access at all. If they did have internet access, it was monitored. Everybody's family did that but mine. Um, We were the most like loose, I guess, of all of the families. We were allowed TV. We were allowed computers. Um, We were not allowed on the computer alone, Um, but we were young. So that's kind of an understandable rule. Um, We were not allowed to tell anybody in the cult that we did the Easter Bunny, Santa, or Halloween 
because that could get you absolutely excommunicated in a heartbeat. Um, also, people were not allowed to have visible tattoos. They really didn't want you to have tattoos at all. But if you had visible tattoos, you weren't allowed in and you had to sign a statement of faith. Um, and um, I personally, uh, when I actually left, the biggest cultural shock was that I could say I'd read Harry Potter and people not go, <gasps> That was the biggest cultural shock. I I know it's kind of trite, but like it really was because you could not say anything like that. Um, the way I grew up. Oh goodness, no, no swearing. Um, we did not have any swearing. Now the dads did swear. Um, but we just you just kind of look past that. That was kind of a dad thing. Um, but no, there was there was nobody that swore. And if they did swear, it was uh fudge like the chocolate and uh, some words from like Veggie Tales, I think. I think that was where they got those from. So there was like some off-brand Christian swearing, but nothing that was actual swearing. I definitely regret leaving insofar as it changed everything. I lost basically all of my childhood friendships. Like, and I knew, I knew going in that that was going to happen. And I had to choose between them being alive and them being healthy and I chose them being healthy I chose all of us being healthy um I have no doubt that we would have lost somebody if I had not done that um and in so many ways I wish I would have been able to do it sooner but destroying all of my childhood friendships in order to do that was really hard um, because nothing's ever the same after that. Nothing's ever the same after you're the one who went to the government to get help, um, which the government can be any authority in that sense. Um, so, you know, it broke a lot of trust. It broke a lot of friendships and, um, some of them were permanent. There's a few people that I still talk to, but for the most part, I don't talk to any of them anymore. Um, but it, it is, difficult to leave such a tight-knit community even though it's terrible even though it's toxic um there is this false sense of security and false sense of comfort and community that I have never had again um and it's it's difficult because in one sense it never existed and in another it did because I thought it did um, and so for that amount of time, I was able to relax and run around and be a kid as much as you can be a kid when people are telling you that you're making your male friends stumble and you're going to hell and all that kind of thing. Um, you're just trying to play capture the flag and they're like, your bra strap is showing. How dare you? <laughs> um, so it's complicated, but, um, there's definitely some things that I think I will always miss, even though they kind of weren't real. I think that the thing that gives me the most hope for the future is that I have actually had the opportunity because I've been doing farmer's markets and um, some in-person events with my blankets and books and things like that. Um, now that I have a YA book out there, I get to interact with a lot of kids and in particular, a lot of homeschool kids. And I get to see how much different their experiences are and how resilient they have been in the ways that our experiences are similar. And, and even public school kids, they're 
just incredible, incredible people already. And they're, they're not even an age of majority yet, which has always been something that's been really important to me. I grew up with my dad telling me stories about kids who changed the world, who ran away on planes away from their abusers and never got caught until they turned 18 and it didn't matter anymore. And so he really instilled this idea that it didn't matter what age you were, you could change the world anyway. And I definitely see that energy in some of these kids and just their talents and the way they're pursuing their talents and the way they are doing self-care and prioritizing their physical and mental health, even when that's not what's been modeled to them. Um, So definitely the kids of this generation give me so much hope and happiness. And I I have one of my own. He's six. Um, But they're just incredible. And it's incredible to watch them already in their vocations and in their lives and to see how much different things are going to be for them in all respects, um, regardless of whether they're from my background or not. It, it depends on the day how I would rate my satisfaction with life. I think most days I would say nine or 10 when in reality I have a really lot of anxiety and I have to do something all the time to actually cope with that. Um, but I genuinely, I would say nine or 10 um, on any given day. I don't really have that much I can complain about. And um, even though there's things, there's health problems um, and stress and all of that, I there's really nothing that I would just want to snap my fingers and change. I'd like, I'd like to work for that stuff, you know? <laughs> wow. I think I'm, I'm not quite speechless, actually, because... I did know a lot about gothardism from the TV show, but Rebecca's like journey out of the cult, I didn't realise how much she went through to like get there, you know? Yeah, I mean, for people who've seen the film Martha, Marlene, May, no, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, or some combination of those four names, um, an Elizabeth Olsen film where you know you see her trying to leave a cult that she joined I think I did have some idea that it wasn't like you just walk out the door and bye you know it, it, there's a lot of enmeshment both emotionally and probably physically when you're in a cult but it was just so shocking and also impressive for me that she did all of this when she was 16 I remember thinking when I was 16, I I don't think I'd even traveled by myself before that point. Like 100%, I was about to come back to the age thing to, I mean, I know it's slightly different because in the US, you know, you can drive at 16 and things like that, but Mm. still to have the, like, courage, yeah, to... And to know that, you know, she couldn't go and just Google help or go and ask for help the way we would. She had to be covert about it. Um, the tracking, the tracking of the phones and like yeah. usage. I mean, so I think many. Just, oh, just given what we do, right? Like, and the identity um, abuse of mm-hmm. having your documents kept by somebody so that they are basically, it's kind of like akin to being enslaved, I would compare it to. I mean, I don't want to kind of compare it 
to many other things, but I know that in Hong Kong, where you have uh, foreign domestic helpers, in a lot mm. of cases, the employer does keep the person's passport. And it's a way to make sure that they literally don't do that, right? They don't run yeah. off in the middle of the night. Yeah. But, you know, I think I think it's different, right? When I'm sure when we have to face something like that, you know, we'll have different considerations. But in the case of us, you know, doing what we do Wait, in sorry, corporate. Stop. When you said when we have to face that, are you in a cult? Are you going to leave a cult? Is that what you're trying to tell me? No, <laughs> I'm talking about if we are hiring someone who needs to live in our oh, home. Okay. <laughs> um, like, I'm really happy to clarify. <laughs> I mean, we did talk about starting a food cult. So if we were starting one, I don't think we would want to be leaving it. But yeah, I I, what, I, what I mean is like with, I think with employment, it's a little bit different, right? Because you know, we are facing this thing sometimes of working from home and there's always going to be people who don't trust in people working from home that they are actually working. But in okay, that but case, in that case, I would say don't hire someone you won't trust. Exactly. And I think particularly around someone being in your home. But back to your point mm. around, would you want to leave a cult if you founded it? Oh, I'd love to find... Surely you'd just disband it. Like, if you disliked it so much, just... What if the cult's taken on a life of its own and there's loads of, like, splinter branches or people turn against you? I'm imagining it like a company. Do you know, if you're the CEO and then you get ousted or the co-founder because the vision has changed and the direction has changed Mm. and it's kind of pulled from under you, I imagine a lot of these things don't end up the way that they were intended when they started. No, and I think, to be honest, I mean, we would be great cult leaders. <laughs> <laughs> but in in real life, you know, a lot of these cults, I don't want to necessarily paint them in a negative picture, but I almost feel like if there were loads of little factions forming, I wouldn't be surprised if the, you know, the OG cult leader would try to get rid of them. Well, this is the thing that Rebecca was saying, right? The power struggle, Mm. you know, people that come in and enforce their authority and like create these little power structures. I think that's probably very prevalent and which is why I compare it to like a company, like a corporation, because you'll always get people that are on like power trips, people that are trying to amass like... Mm -hmm followers people that want to rise the ranks very quickly um so yeah a lot of that actually oddly sounded like corporate culture funnily enough um yeah another thing I wanted to um point out was I thought it was so interesting when Rebecca said her family were quite in quotes liberal within the cult where they celebrated you know all of the things and Mm -hmm. I just found that really interesting because I wonder what, um, okay, hard, hard question to ask, but if her family were inclined to celebrate these things, it means that they are not completely aligned with the cult, in my opinion. So why did they join or why did they stay? I think that was clear though. She said, right, her, her, in many ways, her family were not 
they were atypical for yeah the um even just the community right you know she she described sort of the makeup of, of her family and the belief systems and things i think with her family being and again i say quote unquote more liberal than those around them it exposed her to things in ways that probably helped her journey out and i think even on when she had you know she's now left um i wonder if it actually has helped her adjustment as well but yeah to your point of why they joined and um she talked about why her family joined in the first place and maybe this is something that will resonate with a lot of people given what we've been through in the last two years, but homeschooling, um, you know, so many parents worldwide for the first time have had to take on the responsibilities of teaching their children at home um, in the pandemic when children were not physically in classrooms with teachers. And honestly, I've been hard pressed to find someone um, who doesn't have prior experience of teaching that has said it's been a walk in the park. I I think everybody has had their their struggles, mostly probably because people are also trying to maintain their own job and their own, you know, day-to-day activity at home as well, which is is stressful in itself. But homeschooling um, and why people choose to homeschool, I mean, there's a whole thing on that and is the mainstream education system right for everyone I think Mm. that that's it sounded like a big driver for Rebecca's family um because it isn't always necessarily the right place um if you're not getting the right support um but then you add in all the things that come along with it in the cult she described and you're like but can all of that be worth the homeschooling? Yeah, and I mean, she did say that when she was trying to leave, that she had professors, you know, from school and everyone involved. So maybe when when you get to a certain age as well, it, it can't really be purely homeschooled. Like there's some integration. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think you're probably correct in that to a certain age you know you probably can teach a child all the fundamentals and then perhaps you do need support from specialists can you imagine learning about like integration at home like i can i can probably still do it right like the the advanced math things but i don't think i can teach it to anyone yeah i think spec i think well with maths i think it's probably actually something you can almost get ahead with yourself and teach yourself because there's logic right if, if some if mm. you can understand the logic you can apply it I'm thinking more like specialist subjects where say somebody like your parents or your somebody in your community doesn't have knowledge of it trying to teach something like that I can imagine yeah. external help um so yeah that, that was I think she clearly did have some connection um outside of her community and i think one thing we have to reinforce is the fact that this is not a cult in the sense of you know there's 10 foot walls and guards and dogs no like 
they are living in their own home. It's not like somebody is, you know, standing guard watching them 24-7 to make sure that they don't literally drive off. I'd be I'd be interested to know I don't know if religious studies is part of the standard curriculum there, but I'd be interested to know what they <laughs> teach in there. Because I remember at school, I went to a pretty religious school actually, both in Hong Kong and here. But um, because I only did A-levels here, I didn't have RS as a subject. But at school in Hong Kong, it was pretty, it's pretty religious. Like, I remember our teacher quite adamantly refusing the Darwin theory. Right, like, yeah, so it was completely, and God made everybody, and... The other what things are not your, true. What did your science teacher say about that? Like the biology teachers? Nothing. I mean, we we still had biology lessons, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess in that way, it is very tolerant. Like they might not believe in each other's theories, but, you know, we I guess we were, we were just taught what each of them would teach us and we had to make <laughs> up our minds. Which is um, yeah, but I don't know. I think <clears throat> okay. Mm. Shall we? Shall we? Nick, what's the next talking point? Let's get back into it, and then we can wrap up. So, okay, hypothetical question now: If we were on a holiday and we meet someone super charismatic who like loves food as much as we do, and they, you know, charismatic doesn't matter if it's a guy or a girl, but I guess probably guy. Um, <laughs> or maybe even a girl would like, you know, lower our defenses. I don't know. Um, so we like go along with them and they're like, you know, there's a whole group of us who are like, you know, connoisseurs of everything. And, you know, they know everything about food. And five days later, we realize we joined a cult. Um, what would be the first, I guess, alarm bell for you? that you know you say Janice we need to get out of here oh my question is going to be how do we know we joined a cult what's the aha moment how do you know okay here's here's the thing how do you know you're in a cult because in our case we've obviously lived like free lives until this point so I think we would compare it to everything we knew before and like if you couldn't do something that you could do before I'd be like wait why can't I do that and I think we ask too many questions we ask way too many questions to be indoctrinated I think when when there's a ritual I'll be like red flag number one because let me tell you something I went pre-covid I went to this event and it was called don't even remember what it's called but um I but you should definitely share the story because it's a good one (laughs) yeah so I don't even remember how I found the event even I said to you it was a bit culty when you like yeah yeah so I, I I found this event right probably either on Facebook or I'm pretty sure I saw an ad for it it wasn't like a in person recommendation um I was con- conscious awakening or something 
<laughs> I think that should have been the first red flag. Um, but anyway, then then it was in uh, Shoreditch, and the tagline of it was an event where people who like technology come together to understand or to discuss, you know, how we can use technology to connect with each other more, not less, because you know, a lot of us who work within or adjacent to technology, I think you begin to see both pros and cons, right? Where, you know, of course, during lockdown, we kept in touch pretty much virtually the whole time. Um, But it does give people an opportunity to hide behind screens, you know, all of those things that I feel like are making people disconnect more. So I thought, okay, I'll go along. Sounds fun. So I go to this thing and it's inside this, like, you know those like warehouses where people have gigs, like private gigs. So I went in there. Nice, there were like canapes, drinks, whatever. I sat down, started talking to people around me. Everyone was like pretty chilled actually, and we were talking about you know how we were in technology and stuff. And this whole time, the whole warehouse was dark but lit with like purple floodlights. So it was a very like ethereal atmosphere something about the color purple just saying (laughs) the founder came right super good looking british person man right um like a clean rugged you know like a very very stereotypical that's a juxtaposition if i ever heard one (laughs) so it's a it's a purposeful rugged let's put it that way it wasn't like he didn't cut his hair or shave you know it was designed to look like that and he was this ex-british um well he still is british but he was in the financial services industry i believe um and went to silicon valley right and then started this whole thing and then he was talking about like his his ideas for how to use technology to improve the world instead of make it worse and you know it really resonated with a lot of people in the room. I feel when he said we went from, you know, cavemen throwing rocks at each other to making weapons out of rocks and, you know, stabbing each other. And suddenly we had in this um, century, we had nuclear weapons that could annihilate the whole universe, well, the whole earth. Right. And then we were like, oh, no, that's right. You know, all nodding along. And then suddenly he was like, but before we begin today's session, let's set our intentions. Now, I'm not, this is not an alien thing to me, right? Because I know in yoga practice, whatever, like sometimes you do that. But then they changed the lighting and then it suddenly felt super culty. I suddenly thought, oh, no, like, where am I? this this ritualistic side of this is super weird and there were more and more people who you know throughout the event put their hands up and started talking about things and a lot of them belong to extinction rebellion right and it just got more and more like cult it wasn't a cult i think it's a legit organization but it was much more ritualistic than i had anticipated and i never went back (laughs) so really funny but I think I've answered my own question from earlier for me if there was any group chanting that's when I'd be out yeah 
because again yeah. ritual, that's, that's what I said ritual right like yeah. anytime there's any let's sit in a circle and say the same thing I'll be like no thanks and I think also whenever there's suggestions of like you know not suggestions but strong suggestions of handing over your worldly belongings <laughs> I'm like no thank you that's mine um but yeah I mean unfortunately in a lot of cults I think there's also the element of everyone has to sleep with the leader I'm also like no thank you oh no I mean again like from Rebecca's story right she talked yeah. about the and the abuse um yeah no I, I think but again I think these all become byproducts of the way the thing these situations start right mm. I would again like do we believe that people set these things up with the intention of that's what they want to that's the end goal or do you think it's just they it becomes commonplace because opportunities present themselves and people take advantage of people that are vulnerable put it that way right I think when it comes to things like pedophilia or other types of physical abuse I think that's kind of like a you know plus or minus with these people but for someone to become a cult leader there are flaws in their psyche because if you really believed in something, you know, you told me that, you know, in America, you can start up your own churches and everything. There are plenty of people out there who, who really believe in something and they create a community without turning into a cult. And this you is know? what we were saying, right? Before we went to Rebecca, community versus cult, fine line. Yeah, because there are plenty of people doing good stuff with their influence. You know, even if you want to talk about some celebrities right who they know they have a following but they use that for a good cause instead of using that you know taking advantage of that so mm -hmm. I think once you start with a flawed um character then the other things are just magnified or perhaps exposed yeah. like that's probably that's probably part of them anyway like if they weren't a cult leader they would have done it to fewer people maybe um, I don't think basically what I'm saying is I don't think a normal person would become like a cult leader and then develop pedophilia I don't think that's how it happens well people be vigilant be on your guard <laughs> don't, don't yeah don't join a cult um, and if you do get out Subscribe, rate and review on your favourite podcast platform and follow us on Instagram at Culturally Speaking Podcast. You can also check out our website, culturallyspeaking.co.uk for a transcript of this episode. Share your stories or your show ideas with us by sending us an email at theculturallyspeaking at gmail.com.